0: in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. So if you want to grab your Bibles, Luke chapter 15. Uh, Last week we were in it for a moment. Pastor Rick had brought, brought the two parables that Jesus shared. And here's the context a little bit. If you rewind just one verse back into chapter 14. You hear this. Jesus is talking to the people of surrounding him, and he's sharing these parables, and he's sharing his teachings, and he tells them this. He adds on this one line. He says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Seems kind of odd thing to say. If you have a hear, ear to hear, let him hear. But what he's saying is profound. We can all listen to things, but so often, we can all hear things, but so often we don't listen. And he's saying, it's important that you listen to what I have to say. Because then the next verse, in Luke 15 verse 1, you see some of the people that come around Jesus. And in, in Luke 15 1, here's what we, uh, Luke writes. And now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Luke is saying this is an interesting crowd that Jesus has around him. The people that no one would really associate with. No rabbi in the right mind would collect r- tax collectors. And no rabbi in their right mind would collect prostitutes and the sinners and the disabled. And all these people who c- constantly were around Jesus. And now you would look at it in our modern eyes and you would say, "Hey, that's a great problem to have. All these people who coming to hear from Jesus directly, coming to hear the gospel spoken into their lives, transformations happening, that's great." But then in Luke 15:2 we read and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, "This man receives sinners and eats with them." So, not everybody was happy about it. Not everyone was as as excited as we ought to be about the fact that there were all these people around him. Now, for the religious elite, when they make the statement, it's not a a statement of adoration, but instead it is one of antagonism and it's one of uh, condemnation. They're looking to trap Jesus, they're looking to kill Jesus, they're looking for some way. And he's saying, if he says that who, if he says that who, If he really claims to be the son of God, why would he be around these people? This invalidates his own very point. If he truly is the good teacher, if he truly is the right person, then he wouldn't be. All to trap him. When Jesus realizes they're grumbling... He realizes what is being said. He realizes what's happening. He reads the room. He responds with three parables. Last week, we talked about the parable of the sheep. A shepherd had 100 sheep. And out of the 100, one escaped. One got lost. And what does the shepherd do? He leaves the 99. He goes out into the countryside. He goes into the bushes. He goes everywhere. He looks and he searches and he finds the one. He brings the one back and there is great rejoicing. And then Jesus shares the story of the, of the woman who had 10 coins. This was her life savings. This was precious to her. And out of the 10, one goes missing. What does she do? She tears up the house. She looks under every, every blanket, every, every, the, the couch. She pulls everything apart. She looks and she finds her coin. There is great rejoicing. What Jesus is essentially telling his disciples and all the people that were in attendance to the tax collectors and the, and the sinners and to the Pharisees, he's looking at them and he's saying, here's the secret. God searches for the lost. God is looking for the lost. God is actively seeking the lost. And when he does find them, when the lost respond, there is great rejoicing. You see, that was the exact opposite of what was happening in that room because the lost were making their way to Jesus. The lost were being found, and yet the Pharisees and the scribes, they were angry and they were grumbling and they were antagonistic towards Jesus. And he's looking at them and saying, let me tell you the secret of the kingdom of God, that there are lost people. And when they are found, there is excitement and there is joy. And so so he continues it with this parable. And here's the parable of the prodigal son. Many of you have heard it. Many of you uh, have grown up with it. If you grew up in the church, you heard it in Sunday school. And we're so excited about the prodigal son. But there is a deeper work that Jesus is doing As he addresses the Pharisees and the scribes, as he addresses the the sinners and the tax collectors, he is doing a greater job. And today, hopefully, we get to unpack that a little bit. Luke chapter 15, if you have your Bibles with you. If you don't, there's one in front of you or it'll be on the screen. Luke 15, 11 through 24. And he said, this is Jesus, there was a man who had two sons. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring in his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. As we consider this story, there are two paths that Jesus is going to describe. He begins the story by saying, a man had two sons. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the path that each of the sons take. We just heard of the story of the prodigal, the son, the younger son, and the path that he took. And here's the path that he takes. It's a path of self-discovery. And here's what you're thinking. Self-discovery, that's not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, right after the first service, a gentleman came up to me and he said, I don't think that's a wrong thing to do. I don't think it's wrong to understand yourself. I don't think it's wrong to examine your beliefs. And absolutely, I agree. But here's the rub. The prodigal does it apart from the father. And here's where things fall apart. See, we we lose our way to God on the path of self-discovery we lose our way to God on the path of self-discovery. And let me unpack that for you. See, the parable begins with a shocking request. And here's the request, the young man, the younger son of the father comes to him and he says, Father, here's, here's what I want. You have property, you have wealth, you have everything, and here's what I'd like for you to do. Whatever is coming my way, whatever I'm owed, nothing more, nothing less, I'd like for you to give it to me right now. Now here's why it is shocking it's, it's not shocking that he would ask or he would be given this. It is shocking at the timing of this. Because no one went to a living father, a living parent, and said, give me my inheritance. Especially in that day and time, in, in their custom, it was insulting to the father. It was insulting to the patriarch for a son to say, give me my inheritance. When a request like that was happened, usually the son was disowned and the son was kicked out of the house. But instead, the father, the father appeases him and says, all right, son, you got it. But you see, it's not as simple as writing a check and saying, here you go and moving on. Because wealth in that time was tied up in property. Wealth was tied up in the land that they had. And so for this father, it was most likely land that had been passed down from generation to generation. And for this father to give the son his inheritance, most likely meant sell off his property, sell off what belongs to his family, sell off what belongs to his legacy and give it to this son. And Bible records that as soon as the son got this money, he packed up everything that he had and he went off. He went off into a faraway land and and Bible goes on to say, Jesus goes on to say, he squandered it all. He blew it all. Parties and you name it, he enjoyed it. He enjoyed the pleasures of the day. And now suddenly he is left with nothing. The prodigal son. The word prodigal itself means extravagant. The word prodigal means just doing something to an extreme degree. See, the father endures this. What was insulting to him, most most of the listeners and listeners of that time would be surprised that the father even gave the son this money. That the father even did what he did, dividing up his land that way because that was unheard of. But the father obliges See, the younger son in this parable illustrates a lot of us sometimes. We have this desire inside of us to do it on our own. As a matter of fact, that's all all of us here can identify with the younger son. And here's why. Because we were all born into the family of Adam and Eve, the family that was part of God's kingdom, the family that was part of God's family. We were created to be in relationship with Him, but somewhere along the way, we said, We'd like to go out on our own. We'd like to separate ourselves. We'd like to try it on our own. We'd like to discover ourselves. We'd like to figure out. We'd like to go find ourselves. And that is the reality of who we are as people. But the reality is, you see, there's a breakdown that happened. And the breakdown is not necessarily this, this young man's circumstances because his circumstances had gotten really bad. But uh, Jesus says he squandered all his money, he blew it all away, and exactly that time when he's penniless... A famine comes into the land, and during this famine, now he's suddenly having to find a job. He's suddenly a child of of this wealthy landowner, a child of this wealthy man who's never had to fend for himself, who's never had to work a day in his life, now is suddenly in need. Now, he's suddenly having to figure out how he's going to get his next meal. He gives himself his gifts, gives his service over to a landowner. And he says, hey, whatever job you have, I'll take. And the the farmer says, well, I have some pigs. And that's great, but not so much. Because for a Jewish man, pigs were not something they would take care of they would not engage with them they would not touch them they would not because it was unclean and here is a jewish young man having to care for the pigs and not only that not only is that his humiliation his humiliation goes even further because he is so hungry that he is desiring to eat the food the little pods the little uh, the little food that the pigs were getting he's desiring to eat that and even that he could not get See, the breakdown that's happening here is not his circumstance. The breakdown that happens here is not his, his health. The breakdown that happens here is not the fact that he blew away all his money. The breakdown that happens here is not that he left home. The greatest breakdown in this moment is the fact that he, he broke relationship with his father. Because you see what he did in that moment when he says to his father, give me what, my, what I'm owed, give me my inheritance, it's essentially telling his father, you are dead to me. And because you're dead, now I am owed my inheritance. Because in, in this relationship, because you're dead, because we ha- no longer have this relationship, now I can legally take what I am owed. A break in the relationship but you see if if you ask the father that was never his purpose For his son. It was never the father's purpose or the never the father's dream that the son would leave home, never the father's dream that the son would blow away all his money, never the father's dream that he would be in such poverty. It was his father's dream that he would grow up and he would flourish within the family. It was his dream that his son would help out in the family business. He would help out and he would grow into his own. He would have his own family. He would have his own land. It was all the father's dream. And yet, This is what Jesus is telling his his people, his audience. All our attempts to live without God ultimately creates for, for us an existence that is a poor substitute for what God has for us. Our attempts to accomplish it on our own, our attempts to make ourselves, our attempts to do it, to strike rich, to do whatever apart from God, is a poor substitute for what God has intended for us. God's purpose for you is way higher than you can think or imagine. God's thoughts are way higher. God's purposes and God's plans are much higher than you can ever imagine. And Jesus is saying this is what his father had for him. We lose our way to God. We lose our way to God on our path of self-discovery. But he doesn't stop there when the son realizes that not only has he lost his relationship with his father, he's lost all his wealth. He's lost his dignity. He's lost it all. He doesn't live in that rock bottom. Instead, he realizes, he starts thinking, he thinks to himself, wait, I'm here starving at the brink of death. When those people at my father's house, when the servants at my father's house, when the hired help at my father's house, they eat three square meals a day. What am I doing? What am I doing? And so he hatches a plan and he says, you know what? I'm going to make my way back home. I'm gonna come to my father and this is exactly what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna appeal to him. I'm I'm gonna beg him for mercy. I'm gonna say, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I've sinned against God. And here's what I'm asking. I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. Just make me one of your servants and I'll work my way back into your trust. I'll work my way back. I'll pay my way back. Because you see, in that time, When something as big as this happened, you didn't come back with just an apology. You didn't make your way back with just an apology. There was restitution that had to be made because the son had basically blown away all his father's wealth. A third, as a matter of fact, when the father divided up the inheritance, two thirds of it went to the older son and a third went to him, to the younger one. And a third of the father's wealth is blown away. And in verse 20, we read, he got up and made his way back to the father. And here you have this picture of the son coming all shabby, all nasty, having been in the pigsty, all dirty and smelly. And he's making his way back. And before he could even grace his father's father's steps, what happens is the father himself comes running to him. The father comes running to him, embraces him, puts puts him in a big bear hug, kisses him, and has the interaction. And here's the reason why. You see, that father, from the day the son had left home, was at that doorstep waiting for him to come back. Every day he would go, maybe today is the day that my son comes back. Maybe today is the day he comes to his senses. Maybe today is the day. And as soon as he saw the little silhouette over the horizon, the father ran to meet him. Again, considering the the customs of that day, considering the the culture of the day, the patriarch of the family never ran. There was nothing important enough to make the patriarch run from his house. It was almost embarrassing for the man to lift up his robe and run. Children ran, that was fine. Women ran, the servants ran. What the, uh, the father should have done, according to custom, was send out one of his servants cleaned up the boy, brought him in when he was ready for it. And what you see is a father who abandons custom, who abandons propriety, and who abandons everything. And he says, no matter what, my son is back. He runs out, puts him in a hug, puts him, gives him a kiss. Even before the son can say a word, all of this has happened. And the son, I'm sure it was surprising to him. That was not the reception he was hoping to get or he, was, he thought he would get. And he says to his father, Father, I have sinned against the heavens. I have sinned against you. And in his own words and his plan, you remember his plan? His plan was to say, I'm not even worthy to be a son. Just give me a job. Even before those words could be uttered, the father says, Stop. He calls his servant and says, Go back to the house. Get my best robe. The best robe in the house was his own robe. Get my robe, put it on him. Get my ring, the ring that signifies family, the ring that determines who is in and who is out. Put that ring on him. Clean him up and let's take him back home. The father doesn't stop there. He tells the servants, go back to the house, kill the fattened calf and let's have a party. Let's have a party. See, in, in that society, this party was an expensive party because your regular meals did not have meat in it because of how expensive it was. And for a meal, a meal to have a fattened calf, that was an expensive meal. And because there was so much of it, you would invite the entire village, you would invite all of your community to come be a part of it. And so when the sun comes in, there is a feast happening. There is a party happening. There is rejoicing. There is celebration. Here's what Jesus is telling the Pharisees. Here's what Jesus is telling the scribes. Here's what Jesus is telling the tax collectors and the sinners and all of the people gathered. He says, when one of you comes back to the Father, when one of you who is lost, when one of you who has walked away from God, when one of you is lost, you come back. You find your way back. The Father is ready and willing to receive you. And not only is he willing to receive you, there is celebration in the heavens. The angels rejoice. God himself rejoices." over the fact that uh, that one of you has come back. It doesn't matter where he's been. It doesn't matter that this Jewish boy was in a pigsty. It doesn't matter the sins you've committed. It doesn't matter the, the legacy you've def- destroyed. It doesn't matter what has happened. The Father is ready to receive you. The younger brother... In the pigsty, thinks about the spare food that the father's house had. Never had he accounted for the extravagant grace. Never had he accounted for the undying love. Never had he accounted for the mercy he would be shown. Today, you and I are that younger son. We are the younger son. We are the ones who broke relationship with God. And if you haven't found your way back to him, if you haven't found your way back to God, know that he is waiting. Know that he is at the doorstep looking to see if you would make your way back. See, everyone listening to Jesus' story is rejoicing. They are happy. This is a great story. We just heard the story of the sheep one in 99, being restored, there's great rejoicing. We just heard of the, the, the one coin amongst the 10 that was lost. It's re- we found the coin, now we're rejoicing. Now here you have one in two who's gone missing, and now he's back and we're rejoicing. And so often in our church culture, and if you, especially if you've grown up in the church, in our Sunday schools and all of that, we often stop right there. We're rejoicing, it's a great moment. But you see, Jesus' task is not done. The aim for this conversation has not been accomplished. The people that he is talking to, he hasn't talked to yet. Because you see, as I mentioned before, Jesus starts with the phrase, a man had two sons. There's a second path that we need to talk about. And that is the path of morality. See, the first was the path of of self discovery. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to discover yourself. It's a good thing to understand yourself. It's a good thing to build your own. But when done apart from God, it leads to failure, it leads to destruction. But now you're gonna see the opposite. A man who lost his way, who lost his way to God on the path of high morality. Join me as we read Luke 15, 25 through 32. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother that was dead is alive. He was lost and is found. The younger brother walked the path of self-discovery apart from God. The older brother walks the path of high morality apart from God. Let me me break that down. The, uh, The older brother, he comes from the field having done his duties for the day. He comes from having accomplished whatever the father had sent him out to accomplish. He comes He's faithful, he's dutiful, he is accomplishing everything that he has put his mind to. He's honorable. And when he comes back home, he hears the joy, he hears the laughter, he hears the music, he sees the dancing, he sees the rejoicing, calls one of his servants and he goes, what's going on? What's happening? And when the servant lays it out, instead of being happy, instead of joining in the rejoicing, the brother is angered. He is furious, furious enough that he refuses to come in. You see, just a few moments ago, we read about a younger brother who insulted and demeaned his father by walking away, by leaving him. Now you have an older brother who again insults his father, who demeans his father even by staying with him. You see, what the older brother, by refusing to come into the party, is forcing the father, the patriarch of the house, uh, the host of the party, to leave the party to come to him. And in that time, that was insulting. You didn't do that. The host was the life of the party. The host kept the party going. And for the host to leave his own party to come out was insulting. But the father goes out and he pleads saying, son, come back in. Here's the son's response. Father, I lived my entire life doing what you wanted me to do. I did everything. I, I did everything that you asked me to. I stayed with you even when this son of yours left, even when he did everything that he did. I was here. I did everything. I was the honorable one. I was the one who took care of the family when we were in our lowest point. And yet, for him, You killed the fatted calf. He starts the words by saying, look. That in itself was an insult to the father in a society, in a patriarchal society. You addressed the father with the right terms. You didn't say, look. You didn't say, hey, you. That was insulting. He starts off by insulting the father by saying, hey, you. He's breaking relationship with the father because of his anger. And not only there does he does that, but instead he goes on and he says, "This son of yours, not even my brother, this son of yours," again forcing a broken relationship." See, the younger brother was a sinner. He was broken by virtue of his walking away from God, from, from his father. The younger brother was broken and had a broken relationship because of his sins, because of his shortcomings, because of of his blunders. But the older also sinned against his father, even though he did all the right things. He looks at his father and says, I lived a moral life. I did all the right things. I said all the right things. I thought all the right things. Why is the son so furious? Why is the son so angry? Because you see what it meant in this moment was because the father had put the robe on the son, because the father had given him the ring, because the father had received him in, it meant now the possessions would be divided up again. It meant that he didn't know whether he would get all the possessions or if he would have to share it with his brothers. It meant that from his, from his inheritance is this father throwing a party. From his inheritance is his father taking away a fatted calf. And the older brother is furious because now there's a sacrifice. But what the reality behind this story is this. You see, the younger son wanted the father for the things that he could provide. As soon as he got it, he ran off. In a similar way, the older son also wanted this father for the things he could provide. He wanted the father for the things he expected to get. He wanted the father for the things he was owed. He wanted the father because he knew I did the right things, I checked all the boxes, and now this is what my father owes me. I accomplished the relationship. I accomplished my obligation. I I completed it. And because I did that, now this is what he owes me. do we ever find ourselves on that same path? Do we ever come to God and says, God, I did all the right things. I said all the right prayers, I did all my meditations, I gave my tithe, I even gave my offerings, I blessed people, I did this, I did this, and because I've done all this, I know you're gonna answer my prayer. As a matter of fact, you owe me that. Now, sometimes we may not say it with those same words, But we definitely live like it. You see, the son's actions were not the problem. It was the heart that was faulty, it was the heart that was broken. What was driving these actions were faulty to begin with. We lose our way to God on the path of our high morality. You see, our view of the son should not discount the fact that he did all the right things. It should not discount the fact that he was honorable, that he did bless the father, that he did protect the integrity of the family. He did all the right things. But what gives him away is when he describes it, he describes it almost like, Father, I was a slave. I accomplished my financial obligation, I accomplish my legal obligations, I accomplish my cultural obligations, and now you owe me. So often we come to the Father not because of who He is, but because of what He can give us. Because if we do the right things, He will bless us. Because if we say the right words, He will bring us favor. One of the ironies of the parable is now revealed. The younger son's flight from the father was so obvious. He left the father literally, physically, and morally. Though the older one stayed home, he was actually more distant and alienated the father and his brother. He was absent spiritually, he was absent emotionally. He, just like the Pharisees, was was grumbling About the fact that the lost was found. See, Jesus is very plain in this moment. What was once rejoicing in the crowd suddenly is anger and astonishment, and and they're in awe that Jesus would call them out like this. Because what Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and the religious leaders and saying is this You are the older brother. You are the ones who cannot be happy, who cannot rejoice, who cannot uh, celebrate the lost being found. You cannot celebrate the fact that your brother who was once lost is now back in the home with the family. The brother had, when he was called to be forgiving, was the exact opposite. When he was called to be gracious, was the exact opposite. Where do you and I grumble about the things that God celebrates? Because if we're honest with ourselves, there are people, there are things that when they happen, we look at God and say, why God, why? How is it that this person is succeeding? How is it that this person is doing so well when I do all the right things? and yet you bless him? How is it that my car is broken down and he just purchased another one? How is it that I got declined for a loan and he just bought another mansion? While we may not say those words, we have those thoughts. What are we grumbling about that God celebrates? Can you and I be can you and I recall the times where someone or something happened or someone came to the Lord and the Lord reclaimed their life and we were upset because the hurt that they cost us was too big to bear and now the slate is wiped clean. We can't handle it. See, when I focus on what I don't have, I lose focus of what God does have. When I focus on what I don't have, I lose focus of what God has for me. You see, God's resources are not limited based on what the younger brother does. His resources are not finite. His resources, just because God can bless him, does not mean God's blessing for me is reduced. So often we think of it that way. So often we act of it that way. We often have this, I'll do this, you do this for me mentality. if the language of your heart says that god owes you a good life and answered prayers because of the good life you live then jesus is your model your example even your boss but he is not your savior do we feel like we're owed god's favor because of the way we live it's it's, wor- it's wise for us to examine our hearts It's wise for us to examine our motives. It's wise for us to examine what drives our actions before we leave here. See, there are two ways we sin against God by taking control. One is by breaking all the moral laws, what the younger brother did, and setting our own course. And the other is by keeping all the moral laws and being very, very good, but yet being deceitful in our own hearts. What is Jesus' point in all of this? What is he saying? Simply this God is seeking you out. Whether you're the younger or the older brother, you're both lost. And God is seeking you out. How you respond is up to you. You see, in both situations, the father runs out and meets the, the sons where they were. The younger brother was dirty, he was beaten, he was broken, he was all that and more. And yet the father goes and gives him a hug and says, come on in. The older brother, he too was in the midst of his rebellion. He too was in the midst of his anger. And yet the father meets him where he is. The father is ready to seek you out. Question is, how will you respond? How will, he, how will the brother respond? See, Jesus ends the parable on almost a cliffhanger. He doesn't bring resolution to the story. Because what we have right now in this moment is a son who's in the house and another who's outside. And Jesus leaves the story right there. You get to write the ending. Because you you and I, we too are the older brother. We too grumble. We too cast doubt. We too try to trap God in, in the ways that the Pharisees did he's looking at you and me and saying, I'm seeking you out as well. I'm gonna close with this. Christians and Christ followers, they do three things. They love the Father for who he is, not because of what he gives. Is your relationship based on what God can give you or, because, or based on what, who he is? I'm sorry. Is it based on who he is? What he can give. Christ followers repent not only for the bad they do, but also for the reasons why they do good. What are your reasons for living the way you live? What are your reasons for being, uh, living with integrity? What are your reasons for living and doing the right things? Is it so that you would please God? Is it so that it's because of God's sacrifice for you, or is it because you know if you did the right things that He owes you? Christ followers respond in humility. A newspaper posed this question in, in one of their publications and they asked, What's wrong with the world? The theologian G.K. Chesterton responded with one phrase. He said, Dear sirs, I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? You and I are. And it takes humility, it takes understanding, it takes the Holy Spirit to know our faults. We must approach the Father in humility. Luke 18 14 says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See the prerequisite for receiving the grace of God. There's mercy. The older brother decided he did not. The psalmist reminds us: though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps distance from the proud. As we close this morning or this afternoon, Let's take a moment, take a moment to examine our hearts. Because in this room, I can guarantee there are younger brothers and there are older brothers. Some of us, we've done both. We've walked both paths. In all that, God is saying, you are lost. Come back. Make your way back to me. Because the reality is, no matter where you find yourself, God is waiting. God is ready to give you that hug. God is ready to put that robe on you. God is ready to put his ring on you. God is ready to give you all the privileges of being a child of God. Whether you've been a Christian your whole life or you met him this morning, wherever you may be, know this, that we have all failed God and we continue to do that each and every day. So before you leave this morning, take a moment, invite the Holy Spirit, ask him, God, how, where do I line up? Where do do I measure up? What's my role? And how can I make my way back to you? God seeks you out. How you respond is up to you. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercies this morning. Thank you for your reminder through your word that you seek the lost. And thank you for your reminder of the reality of our lostness, that the reality of our sinness, the reality of our brokenness, that we truly need a savior. We truly need someone to come searching for us. Lord, I pray that even as you search for us, that we would respond to you in kind respond to you, running back to you, just as the younger brother did. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do your work in our hearts this morning. Lord, may we not leave the way we came in. May we go, having taken an account of our lives, having examined our hearts, examined our motives. Lord, I pray that you would do your work. In Jesus' name, I pray.